Hello, beautiful human. Thank you so much for letting us into your ears today. We are about to dissect OK Orchestra with AJR. First, I got to ask you to share this podcast with those you care about and subscribe. Also, let us know who you're listening to so we know who we should invite on the show next. Okay, we have a lot to get to here with AJR. We're going to go through every record on this album. So strap on in and enjoy. Uh, Hello, beautiful human. Uh, We got Dan here. Uh, I'm Zach. And we welcome to the couch, AJR. We are actually on a couch. Yeah, you are. (laughs) We have a lot to discuss here. We we have a new album to unpack, but also uh, I got to start with saying thank you. Thank you for making today's conversation look and feel like it's normal, kind of, but it's not. It's just so not. (laughs) Do you think we could fool people into thinking we're in the same room? No, but uh, we can try. (laughs) they are, we're, we're recording. They know you just claim that we're not in the same room. It's just you didn't think through that at all. Well, the Internet is really smart. Well, OK, JK, mm. there's a couple people on the Internet that are really smart and mm. uh, the rest fall victim to this sheep herd mentality type deal, which certain songs tap into that. So uh, a lot to discuss here. But. Why OK Orchestra? What does that even mean? What, does OK stand for something that is not OK? Um, so we actually started off with a different title. And for most of while we were making the album, uh, it was going to be called uh, Mad Orchestra. Um, and that was back when Bang was like really blowing up. And we thought, oh, let's make a whole album that sounds kind of like Bang, like dark and, and evil sounding. And then as we rode and as when the pandemic hit, it just kind of occurred to us like, what? are we really going to make an entirely dark like album that, that doesn't sound fun you know that that's that sounds like uh we'll be depressed by the end of it um and so it started to feel a little a little more melancholy as opposed to dark a little more like longing and and by the end a little more hopeful actually and so we realized mad orchestra wasn't really like the the, the right title right the worst uh, thing that we the, we've learned that the worst thing that you can do is just plan beforehand either what an album will sound like or what a song will sound like it almost always ends up not being bad you yeah. know it's when when your songwriter are making an album it's just the song this is so corny and cliche but the song kind of tells you where it wants to go you can't really force anything so that's why it just ended up being something totally different how much of the album is done before you're like this just sounds okay this is an okay orchestra (laughs) it's not a great orchestra it's not amazing um it's not mad doesn't suck yeah the concept it's it's not like this album's okay so we're gonna call this album okay orchestra um the idea was uh a lot of the album and and especially the overture and then kind of throughout the album is about uh being worried about becoming irrelevant and obsolete and and uh being like okay i'm i'm okay for now I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if I'm going to age out of whatever, you know, success or relevance I have to society, um, but I'm okay for now. And I don't want to be part of this sad orchestra of of trumpets and drum sets complaining uh, and longing for their youth. I don't want to be part of that. That sounds upsetting, you know, but, but I'm okay for now. Um, so that's where the idea came from. By the way, like an interesting concept that people feel in their lives on all levels, like it doesn't matter what you're what you do in life. Fear of being irrelevant to friends, to family, to the public, just your role in society as a whole is something that is very real and it's poignant and and people face it. But is it something that you face only after success in your lives? 
No, um, I think that is absolutely something every single person faces, uh, no, no matter who you are. And I think we've realized in recent years, probably in the last 10 years, that being called irrelevant is probably the most insulting thing you could call someone. Yeah. We, 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 we wrote about that in a, in a script years ago. Uh, I mean, you could curse someone out and call them this and this, but then irrelevant has just this horrible connotation of nothing you do matters. No one likes you. No one cares about You're what useless. you do. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's everyone's worst fear is not being, not being liked, not being cared about, not doing something important. And the word irrelevant is just sort of the, you know, everything is underneath that. So you, that that's the most insulting thing you could think of. Are those fears heightened at all, though, after success, no matter what that success may be, whether that is an Apple commercial or a sold out tour or I mean, yes, it exists within us. But I mean, some things could poke it stronger than others. I think our career has been really interesting because we've hit so many of our goals at so many different times. And so irrelevance for us doesn't necessarily happen. I mean, I don't think, I don't see us becoming irrelevant because we didn't have the number one smash hit at the very beginning. We kept setting more and more goals for ourselves. And the fact that Bang went number one on iTunes and number one on Shazam, it didn't go number one on radio. It didn't go number one on Spotify. We have so many places that we can still go. So it's not like, okay, we're looking back, we reached every goal that we wanted to, and now we're done. We still have so much of a roadmap ahead of us that we're excited to keep pushing further and further and further. Uh, I, I, we didn't, you're asking about like the success of the band. The album is not really like, the idea of the album is not really like, we had a, a hit and now what do we do? It's not really about the band mm. at all. It's more about like, you know, the human experience of like getting to a certain age where like, oh, wow, when did I stop knowing the lingo of what 12 year olds are, are talking about? Am I really that old at whatever age in, in your 20s? Uh, so we thought that was kind of an interesting little meat uh, nugget for the album. By the way, like that is so relevant throughout the entire album. It does seem like you guys spent a lot of time with your own life and exploring yourselves and what you've been through going back years and I, I it feels like you went back years but also in some cases super relevant like could have been weeks or days you know between you writing the song so yeah. I, I, I want to go through every record and but but back to Adam's point of you know you're talking about number ones and you have so much more to grow do you set goals for an album like this and yes I'm not even talking about uh, data-driven goals creative goals like do you sit down and say, these are the things that I need to achieve before I start orchestrating this OK Orchestra? Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> one of the big ones is, no, it's a good question. One of the big ones is, let's just make sure there aren't any two songs that sound alike on the album. That That's number one. That's what we found, that so many people uh, come to the shows and are able to sing every single song, and I think it has a lot to do with that, in addition to the lyrics. Uh, you know, you go from a song, I mean, obviously we'll go through all of them, but you, you, you play one song, and then the next one is almost like, oh, is this the same band? Can this be on the same album? And that's just been so cool to us. I, we, and it's been something that we've gotten really criticized for um, by, by critics and writers out there, but also we really think it's the reason why people show up in such large numbers because their attention is always there. We, we, we try not to lose them at any point. So that's the one, that's one thing that we say, okay, if, if, you know, if we write this song and then the next song we start has a similar intro or has a similar BPM or something, we're going to scrap that or totally change it up because that's really boring to us. And we really right. feel like we're going to lose our audience. I mean, Jack just talked about the show. When Ryan and Jack are writing songs, they're always talking about, you know, how can this translate to the stage? 
And I think that's something really important as they're writing, you know, like, will this song make sense in a new creative way a new creative, you know, placement on the stage? Can we do something unique that people haven't seen before on stage using this song and express it in a way that's not just playing the song on stage? So I feel like that's uh, another goal that we set for when we're creating an album. The variety in the sounds used on this album, I mean, it showcases musical intelligence. Like, question, are you making all of these instruments from the piano at first and then having the real versions do it? Or is it all keys and based from, I guess, uh, computers? Uh, it's a little of both. Uh, I, I think after doing this for so long, we figured out, okay, the... Uh, you know, the synth version of the piano actually sounds better than what, or sounds closer to what we're imagining than what a real piano would sound like. Because as much as synths try to emulate real instruments, sometimes they come up with their own sound completely. Like, you know the 808 sounds that everybody uses, like the like the trap snare that like every Ariana Grande um, future, Drake, like they yeah. all use the same. That started, I think maybe in the 80s from people trying to approximate the real sound of a snare drum like with a computer and they failed miserably because it doesn't sound like a real snare drum but they got a sound that was just as cool and just different oh that's cool i didn't know that yeah i'm just filled with knowledge nuggets you are probably the (laughs) smartest person in this room right now thank you well okay so but like the strings like uh, let's start going record by record um well first what song came the easiest Ooh. Oh, cool. Um, I, I'm very, I'm, all your questions are so cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, probably Bummerland, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Bummerland was, a, well, Bummerland was a funny story. It, it, once it actually, we started writing Bummerland, we were done in probably 20 minutes. Um, but the actual track for Bummerland, we had for two years before that. And we loved the track and the drums. And we were like, God, oh, this is so unique. People are going to be able to dance and it doesn't really sound like anything uh, in the mainstream. And we probably went through like six choruses and all of them, we were trying to convince ourselves so hard that they were good and they were just so nothing and they were just so white bread. And it was just like, and then finally it, it got to the point where we were out in Long Island uh, over the summer. And I think we like needed to get out there and experience like nature and like the feeling of summer in order to land on like Bummerland, the ultimate like sad summer song. And then once we came up with Bummerland, here I am, better nix my summer plans. It was literally just the first thing that came out of my mouth was this month I got seven haircuts. Now my hair is all gone. It's as if we like sang the song as we were writing it and just finished it. It was so, so easy. And the thing that we, the thing that stuck with us for so long was uh, this drum pattern. It's this How does that come to be? Because like it, it, it kind of, it sounds on, but a little off. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think what we thought was so cool is that it like felt kind of hip hop, but like didn't remind us of anything that we had heard before the, it's like, boom, boom. it's like not quite an 808, but it's like, if you actually just hit a big bass drum, it's like rumbling the whole room. And we saw so big, if yeah. we put it in kind of like a tribal setting with like a tambourine, chicka, 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 uh, that's we thought kind that of people would, you know, do that. What would know? they do? Mm, mm, mm. like do that and we, have, we, we don't know yet because we haven't really played it live on stage but hopefully cross but, uh, our fingers God, hopefully, hopefully they do that please God but that's a record that wouldn't have existed if pandemic didn't happen right like it, it, like the world goes to you need to escape you're sitting on a piece of production for well over a year you know like that was I, I don't know it's kind of weird 
Everything yeah. needed to line up that way. And maybe if that didn't happen, the piece of production would still be collecting dust somewhere. You're right. There was a few moments on this album where that happened. Like, oh, wait, we have this. And like, oh, and that lines up perfectly. And and for so long, we were like, okay, obviously we're going through this time. AJR always writes songs about the current moment, what people are feeling. When are we going to do our uh, our pandemic song? You know, we yeah. knew we were going to do a pandemic song. We definitely were not going to call it, you know, uh, <sighs> stay inside or something like that. We, there, there was just no way. We, it was going to have to be some sort of like AJR twist on it. That uh, would still be relevant after the pandemic too. Right, right. Exactly. Because yeah. everyone feels that bummer land no matter what's going on. Um, and, and then when that idea came of you're only going up from, uh, you know, if once you reach the bottom, the only place there is to go is up. It's like, oh my God, how did we not do that like five years ago when we were writing the click? That's the most like easy AJR concept there is. It's like made for us. We're like, okay, let's get that out quick. The build, it's anthemic, it's relevant, it gives you hope and something to look forward to. It's perfect. Thank you. So Ryan did something insane for this song. And I think it's one of my one of my favorite pieces of the whole album. Okay. And it was so like important that the song came out before the album come, came out because it gave people a little taste of what they were going to hear as kind of like production thematically throughout the entire album. And we wanted to represent it on like the single cover of Bummerland. It's the bridge with these instruments transforming into other instruments. And Ryan did something that just like blew my mind the first time that I heard it. Are you going to try and play a little piece of it or should I keep talking until you're ready no. to actually play well, that? Well, please play because <laughs> this is this is something that kind of follows through the album. Yeah, yeah. W- let me play it and then I'll World give you the So there's a rare little glimpse where it's it's soloed. So yeah, exactly like Adam said. So the story behind this was it actually started on our album uh, Living Room. Uh, we did an overture for Living Room, and what was that? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah, like 2013. And is it going to play here? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, right here. Okay, so on Living Room, there's this part that goes, "Now you can't go breaking my heart." Here it's. And I remember Adam actually saying, like, I don't know if you remember this, Adam, like seven years ago when I made it, he was like, oh, it kind of sounds like the vocals turning into a trumpet. And at the time, I wasn't really, we weren't really <laughs> good good producers or anything, but so it was just like the two were over each other and one just kind of lazily faded into the other. But it made us, it made me start thinking like, oh, what if we could actually totally seamlessly take a vocal and transition it into a trumpet because they're all made from the same stuff. Like they're all made from sine waves or triangle waves or square waves. So if we could trick the ear into not knowing when the trumpet ended and when the vocal began, we thought like, oh, what an interesting way that you could hear the OK Orchestra. It is this fluid instruments turning into instruments thing. So how do you figure it out? Yeah, it was so many years of trying and obviously started with that, which sounds nothing like the most recent version. And then what's really funny is that on one of the when we first made the beat for for uh, Bummerland back when it was like an old version, Ryan 
tried to do it in yeah. the beginning of the song and it just wasn't quite right we like it, it wasn't really there it was kind of obvious we we're like oh people would have been like okay i know exactly what you're trying to do so we said okay let's not put it out if it's not perfect and then he kind of put it aside and then he truly just got better at producing yeah at, over a year he just like was like okay let me sit down and really figure out how to do this and i remember at the end of the day the morning that he said that he, he just he had it and i was like oh my god like you truly like that's that's about as good as you're gonna get with that do you teach yourself, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. You can't look this up any, anywhere. Just like we couldn't really look up how to, on Neo Theater, do the 1940s choir. It was really just like trial and error. Trial by error? No, no, no. Trial and... Trial, trial and with errors. It's trial by, by error. fire. Oh. Trial by fire. Trial by combat. Trial by, by combat. <laughs> trial by combat. Um, it was really just, uh, yeah. Um, it was. It's. It's honestly just like a series of... Uh, you know, six or seven different effects automating at different times and EQs and this is so boring, but EQs, compressors, um, uh, uh, vocal synth, which basically like takes the artifacts of your voice and makes it into a synth. It's, it's just so much stuff happening at once in order to sound like the easiest free flowing thing in the world. So you master it for Bummerland and then you really, I mean, it shines in world's smallest violin, mm. right? Yeah. That's, I mean, I remember when you sent that record to me and it was like, you didn't even tell me like what you had done. You just said, listen to it. And it was such yeah. a journey. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. That that was so funny enough. We were going to put out World's Smallest Violin uh, over the summer. So like almost like a year ago, we were going to put it out. And then we kind of realized like, mm, Bummerland actually fits better for where we're at in the world right now. Um it you know as a standalone song bummerland feels like the anthem of this summer more than world's smallest violin does but we wrote it about um a, a very real thing that's that's rarely talked about because you kind of seem like a brat if you complain a, about you know your own lives but we wrote about this idea that like two things can be sad right like two things are allowed to be sad even though there's hunger in this part of the world your own uh, parents divorce is allowed to be sad as well um, and it's really hard not to seem like an, like an asshole, like, you know, uh, complaining about that. But the song is kind of about if you find the right person to complain to, then you don't seem like an asshole at all. Isn't that the trick? But is there a fear of you seeming like an asshole for even bringing up the topic? Yeah, exactly. That's the one song where we knew that we would get some hate for it. And that's it's very meta in that way. It's like we're already saying, no, we know we're for doing this but we just have to write about it because it's true everyone's feeling that at some point of I don't want to bring this up because you know this other thing is happening but at some point what am I supposed to do with these feelings inside am I supposed yeah. to just keep them in there they're just gonna fester so it's that weird you know uh conundrum that you put yourself in sort of it's, it's definitely one of the weirder topics on the album yeah. in that way yeah and ultimately like I, rather empowering I think the reminder that like you know your emotions and your feelings are valid and yes things are worse they exist but that doesn't make your issues any more trivial because they're still an issue to you. Right. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to uh, do, Zach? <laughs> dude, seek help. A lot of it. What are you going to do? <laughs> Concrete steps. I'll get you a plan of action. What, <laughs> okay, good. what are you thinking, Daniel? Oh, no. I, honestly, sometimes when we interview you guys, I forget I'm supposed to be talking because I just like watching you guys break things down. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not watching a YouTube video. I'm actually supposed to be present here. <laughs> Speaking of that, you, you guys interviewed um, uh, Frankie Jonas. Who? Oh, my God. What a storyteller that guy is. Right. We were interview. like transfixed. <laughs> he's such he's so magnetic. Yeah, he really is extraordinary. Right. 
Like, yeah, clearly somebody who's seasoned in the art of communicating and, you know, he's very personable and uh, what in. Yeah. What a great person. And I would be nervous if I was him to be totally honest and authentic. But at a certain point, you know, you just got to boils over, baby. And he's being himself and he's leaving nothing off the table. Loved that one. Yeah. We have records to get to. Ordinary-ish people. The opposite of Frankie Jonas, right? Um, <laughs> oh, interesting. The record here. Well, can you define an ordinary-ish person? Yeah. <laughs> I, so this uh, this came from, this was one of the last, maybe the last song we wrote for the album? Yep. Um, and we, had the, we ran into the same thing with Neo Theater mm-hmm. where we wrote the song Break My Face, where... We were like, we have so much heady stuff on this album, like so much stuff where you really need to think and listen. A lot of lyrics. Yeah, a lot of dense lyrics. We need one for the album that's uh, just like easy, that just at the show you just put your hands up and you get it the first time you listen. And the song started, I remember the song started with the line. We we had those chords and a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. We knew it was a really good melody. Um, Wait, pause for a second. I know we started with the line, um... Uh, no, yo, you're not stupid. You're just special. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but that's really funny. You know, like that, that always comes up. No, you're not. You're not dumb. You're just special. And I was like, that's that's a very AJR-ish line. And I think we really wrote the song around that. And it yeah. for some reason morphed into this ordinary-ish people concept, which is really, um, uh, it's a very relatable thing, which is, you know, you really, it's about, it's a song about not being able to win. You know, like you have this group of friends that are going to get mad because you're this. And then if you're the opposite, you're going to have to, you know, have a group of friends that are going to get mad that you're this. So really the only way you can truly be happy is if you're nothing. And we thought that was a really kind of dark and funny concept to write about. Yeah. It's like the not cheesy way of saying, like, be yourself. It's like the the more interesting look at because it. Because if you're nothing, no one can, they can be like, but you have this, but you're, no, I don't have anything. And that's, then people will leave you alone, you know? <laughs> When you're nobody, nobody minds. Exactly. Yeah. And that came, it started with this. What is that? It's like a whole marching band thing. Uh, and then we got Arnetta, our trumpet player, to like record uh, trumpets on top of it and kind of built it up. Some synth, some real trumpets. And I remember I played that for you. I was like, I think that there's something cool where it, you, you picture this marching band on the f- field of a football stadium, but there's also like a like a chill hip-hop. It's our head bob song. Yeah, like, almost like our stoner song, where it's like, it's, I don't know if it's a hands-up, it's more of like a head bob, right? You mentioned an eighth in Joe. Joe's a stoner. <laughs> speaking he of... Is, you can smoke an eighth of, on a school day. Of, he, that is, that's, that's the truth, man. You said it. Me too, Joe. Fight me in the alleyway. <laughs> Before we get into Joe, how did uh, Blue Man Group get involved? Oh, yeah. Um, the story behind that, I guess originally we've been such huge fans of Blue Man Group, um, and it originally started out as inspiration for our show, our live show. And uh, I know Zach has seen our show a number of times, uh, and what the Blue Man Group do and is... Dan. And Dan. Oh. Has Dan ever come to I've your show? I've been there, guys. Yeah. Yeah, oh, don't I didn't know Dan. I've I been know, there. I didn't know Dan's our show. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for, well, for coming. I want to make something clear. Dan, there, there's no way Dan has been to as many AJR shows as I. 
Uh, but 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 he I think been to one. I've been to one, this and I've been to three Blue Man Group shows. So oh, what? <laughs> you know what? That's the same thing. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. But anyway, originally when we were first conceptualizing being on stage for our fans, we said, okay, we should definitely take inspiration from Blue Man Group in that you don't know what's going to come next. You know, and it, they they have this crazy mystery about them where you just can't look away because they go from one thing where you don't understand what they're doing they're playing a tubed instrument you're like i've never seen that instrument before oh okay this is going to be the whole show and then it's bam a totally new scene on stage they're throwing marshmallows in each other's mouths and are building a art sculpture (laughs) with it so that feeling of like what's going on i don't know who these people are but i can't look away is exactly what we wanted on stage so that's why we started adapting these weird transitions and weird effects behind us and sort of magic elements in our shows to give the audience no reason to look away so that's that was number one fast forward to now we recently saw the blue man group again right i think right right before the pandemic right before quarantine started and we were like okay we have to do something with them and they're so good and they have such good even the music is great so we said okay what's the weirdest feature we could do on this album that no one will predict you can go through every artist that's out right now and you're not gonna get it and it was them you know and it was so so cool to work with them on this and they came in and just absolutely destroyed it and it's such a cool part of the song to listen to and i'm sure everyone's just gonna love it Maybe you can't reveal their secrets, but when they work with you, are they in blue or are they, they not in blue? <laughs> we're in blue. We, we, we showed up in blue and they didn't. And we're like, oh, I thought we all were going to be in blue for this. One of us is going to have to change. One of us is going to change. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Are we allowed to say like if they can speak or no, not? No, let's leave it a mystery. It's got to be a mystery, Dan. Don't try to spoil it, man. I have so many questions about them because like, I, like it, it, it's not just the same three guys forever, right? Like there's... There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different blue men because they have different uh, shows right. across the country in the world. Right. The world. I don't think they can all be at the same. I don't think they could be in Vegas and New York and L.A. at once. I don't think. Yeah. Well, you brought up how, how quick they change and on ordinary people. It does sound like it starts like a jazz band then some hip hop drums come in then it comes like super speed. And then there's some like yeah. dubstep at the end, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they definitely switch genres even in just those three long phrases that that that, that they had. They that, did, it was very Blue Man Group. That was our instruction to them because we did a similar thing with Rivers Cuomo on Sober Up. We basically said, make it a left turn. Make it sound like only Rivers could have come up with something like this. And we never would have written My Favorite Color Is You. And that's why it's like one of our favorite bridges we've ever made. And we gave uh, Blue Man Group similar instruction where it's make, make it very clear that announcing the Blue Man section, AJR wouldn't have done this production. And we thought that t- uh, teaming up in that way was cool. Can you play it, right? Oh, uh, I already switched sessions. Why, uh, do, you, do you really want me to? Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Dan is mm. so disappointed. Oh, man. I am because you do have that voice in there, don't you, that they use in their live show. Yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> Only yeah. you oh, okay. that Dan is the biggest Blue Man Group fan in the world. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, just go back to the other session and play it for one second. Wait a second. <laughs> it's for Dan. Dan is such a big fan. I knew that voice when I heard it. Dan's not a fan of much, but the Blue Men are on his list. Oh, It seems like they're number one, honestly. Wait, hold on. We're going to go to the voice that, that, that Dan is talking about. Yeah, here it is. In, in that part, Dan, is, <laughs> Dan was like, I'm paying attention. He was like literally talking back to them. There it is. We want it all. They're very uh, like acoustic drum centered and we're not. We're very like synth drum centered. So all the fills, I think I do. I and have then the tubed instruments too is, is their like classic thing. Oh yeah. The, 
he had a name for it. I forgot. The, the pipes. Yeah, it was hard. I can't remember. Yeah. Do you go into the studio with them, or do they do their own thing and just send it to you? That this was totally remote. Yeah, because because of the pandemic. But were you working with them as they were doing it, or was it just like go and then come back to us? Uh, that, originally, it was that, and then it was. I think we had like little changes, and then they came back and they had ideas, and it was just it was extremely collaborative. Cool. Um, can we go to Joe now? Yeah, we can go to Joe now. Let's talk Joe. Dan checks out. <laughs> All right, we did Blue Man. I'll <laughs> well, see you next there. time. <laughs> You should send us a list of other people you like, and we'll feature them next time, too. All right, good. I'll send you over a little list of people. Yeah, good. It's very little. His mom's on the list. Um, <laughs> your message in Joe is the opposite of the action of releasing a song about a person, right? It is a contradictory record, in a sense. Like, yeah. you're saying, I don't think of you, Joe, because you're a POS, and you bullied me, and you... Smoke eights on a school day, but I want it to be you kind of. I don't think of you, but I definitely do think of you. Like, right. To the point where, like, maybe you could yeah. say that, like, some of your motivation in life has to do with Joe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's definitely not about how he's a piece of. That, that's not at all <laughs> what it is. He, it, it was kind of more interesting than that. And that's why we wanted to write it. And it's, it, it's a true story. Um, but it, it was very, it's very much about, like, Wow, there's there's that person that kind of uh, you know you looked up to and you want to forget about because you knew him at such a formidable time in your life and like no matter how much you accomplish it's just like never going to be enough because oh I bet he's off doing much cooler things than what I'm doing and we thought that's such a weird but like really risky uh, idea for a song um, and I, I I had a lot of trepidations about putting it out and Jack was like no it has to, we have to put it out this is why did you have trepidations because what it's right you did not change the name oh yeah because yeah. it's his actual name <laughs> and so I'm dreading the but, phone call I don't know where he is in the world or anything but I'm dreading that phone call yep. but is this a schoolyard bully because but by the way like this is art and I'm giving my interpretation so obviously it's going to be different than yours but that's, you know, for the sake of art, I, I, when I hear it, I, I immediately go back to middle school. Like I immediately go back mm. to elementary school. But is that, is that the time period that you went back to, to create this record? It was around high school for him, but it wasn't quite bullying. Yeah. It was, it's a lot bigger than that. It's like the person that you, uh, it's, it's, you're their biggest fan. And, and they want nothing to do with you. It's everyone has that person. You're on, you're on their hook and you think yeah. they are the coolest person on earth and you'll, you know, change your way for that person because everyone truly, like I said, everyone had that person back in high school or middle school or whatever. So if it's an There's admirational song, that. why are you afraid of the call? Oh God. Cause Hey, we haven't talked in 12 years. You wrote a song about me <laughs> and now amphitheaters of people are singing it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't want to have that call. <laughs> <laughs> but does Joe think you're cool now? Because you've you've changed a lot since high school. You've accomplished a lot. It, the, all of the the lines in there are so true because I believe that Ryan did extend the invitation to the Radio City Music Hall show, and it and he didn't show up. And it's so it's you're, yeah. you will forever be on that hook because that's what those that's what like people like that they, that do they they're they they don't really quite change from that person to you. It's they're never gonna be there. They're always just gonna you know thumb up your 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 text. They're never gonna have that honest conversation. So I don't think that Ryan will ever get an honest answer to that. I think that's something that we're all going to have to just live with and you know it's funny while we were we had a lot of conversations about this after i wrote it um maybe jack said like 
he, he could be like working at McDonald's now or something. Like he could have any level of success. And I remember like saying to Jack, like, oh, if he's working at McDonald's, he's doing it ironically because he's like getting in with the, the <laughs> common people. He's doing it in like the coolest way possible. And that was a genuine response. Yeah, it was yeah, a genuine yeah. response. It's like those things. I don't know if you had that, Zach, but like we, we talked, we even talked to uh, Josh, our, our manager. He was like, God, everybody has that from college or high school or middle school. And we are like, okay, yeah, this is important. To what, I, what Zach told me before the interview is that Dan is that person to Zach <laughs> and Zach is that person to Dan. So they have it towards each other. So it's, that's why they have such good chemistry on camera. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, you nailed that one. That yeah. hit, right? o- yeah, only good chemistry on camera. Um, yeah, wait till right. the cameras go off. Ugh, you don't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> they both turn on Joe and just oh. listen silently. <laughs> Who's beatboxing in Joe? Oh. Oh, is that what you wanted to ask? Oh, yeah. Well, I have other questions Joe, but on my list, yes. Joe is some of the production I, I'm, I'm really most proud of because it's so simple. It's, like, really hard to make something really unique. And Lord by, uh, Royals by Lord did it really well, where yeah, it's, I, like... Yeah, I, I was just going to add, like, when he sent it to me, he... Ryan went off by himself, I think, and just started this one uh, for like three days. And then he came back and he's like, I have this weird one. And it really took me like a week to wrap my head around the production. It yeah. does not sound like something that's so obviously AJR, more like ordinary-ish people. You kind of get it right away. Okay, I can dance to it. Yeah. It's easy. This song has tempo switch-ups that I don't even quite know how to dance to the piano and the beatboxing in the beginning. It's so weird. And we don't usually do songs like that. So you can keep going. But, no, but that is one on you, right? It, 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 oh. Yeah, but no, it, and that was why it was really cool because right. it wasn't so instant. It took literally like five or six days, and I was like, "Oh, this is not. I'm not supposed to dance to this. I'm just supposed to let let it happen to me." Mm. You know, and we have so few songs like that. And it's a really, it was a really cool moment that we could make something new like that. But go on. For for me, it was exactly the opposite. Ryan oh, sent really? me the song <laughs> immediately. One listen, it was my favorite song oh, on the album. Wow. wow, like the very first time, and I think. Like, it changes a little bit, but I think right now it's still my favorite. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So it started from, uh, that's a a sample of of Mozart, uh, Piano Sonata number 16 in C major. Yeah. Uh, And uh, did you know it was a sample, Zach, or no? Uh, I had a feeling, but is that hard to clear? Well, you don't have to, if it's public domain, we didn't take the actual master. We took the sheet music of it, and it's over 100 years ago, so we can just... Take it. Yeah. Nobody, nobody owns those rights. Yeah, exactly. So we we took that and then we thought, okay, how do we combine the least classical thing ever with that and juxtapose it? And so we got this guy Kenny Urban, who's a a literal world champion beatboxer that we found on TikTok or Instagram. Or Instagram. Yeah, look yeah. him up on Instagram. He's it's so fun to watch. And he recorded such insane stuff. And we kind of broke down like, okay, this is the idea of the song, and this is the general beat. And here I, I have the the coolest part is the end when he just goes insane. Yeah. I'll just play that. He said, so, just go up. Yeah. That's insane. And and we thought that was such a cool ending because that was such a middle school, high school thing. Like, look how well I beatbox. Yeah, and no one was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm, we're super proud of that production. Why did you need Joe to show up at your show? Oh, my God. I think you need to go to therapy for a long time to even get close to answering that question. There's truly, there's just truly no answer. It's, it's why... It, it's it's the person that Ryan wanted to be. It's the person that we we all want to be. We want. He was the person that made everyone laugh in the class. He was the person that got the girls. He was the person that just by smiling, you were just so like, oh, I want that smile. Mine is ugly compared to him. You just don't yeah. know why, but it just is. It's and just stuck in there. I did some thinking while I was writing, and I wanted to put it in. It didn't quite make it, but we, the Beach Boys are our favorite band, obviously, my favorite band. 
I heard him say, I think in seventh grade, that Beach Boys were his favorite band. And I was oh. like, oh, uh, me too. Beach Boys are my favorite band. And now we've like made an entire career off of saying the Beach Boys are our favorite and then band. And like, I don't even like the Beach Boys. <laughs> They're not that <laughs> You woke up 10 years later. <laughs> I have a whole career. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's such a vulnerable s- spot you. to put yourself in. You know, I, I think you could understand being like, wow, so much of who I am is from this kid that I haven't talked to in so long. But we thought like, if we're not doing that, why are we making music? You know, if we're not taking some kind of risks being vulnerable. Probably my favorite line on the album is in Joe is um, because the first chorus goes, uh, I don't ever think I should have left you back in school. Oh, uh, and then what's the second chorus? I don't ever think of you. I got to show my shit or look at all this stuff I do. Probably not as much as you still jo-. like. So you're still stuck like this song. You have not resolved any of those feelings because you were 100% sure he is much, much more well off than you. You could be, you know, the president and still he's accomplished more. You know, so that's such an interesting idea. Adventure is out there. This is a record that showcases both of your vocals in a way that most records don't. Yeah. Thank you. That's correct, right? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> he meant Adam and Ryan, I guess. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my God. It's funny <laughs> I really enjoy Adam's energy. Um, <laughs> no, but he, he really does. Like, you guys go back and forth in, in a way that I haven't heard. And I thought to myself, like, where's Ryan's song on this album? And there's no song nice. that just features your vocals. So this is the closest we get, yeah? Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, we were, in the beginning, we were like, oh, it needs a turning out part three. And then we decided, like, no, the album doesn't need anything. It's if we're if we're in the place, if I'm in an emotional state to write turning out part three. Um, whatever it is, if it's devastatingly sad or, or happy, then it'll come when it comes. Um, do you want to tell the story behind Adventures Out oh, There? Oh, no, you do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can jump in. But um, so Adventures Out There was most of the song was originally written for Neo Theater. And it was a song called Socks. And this has been the song that our fans are all. There's always like <laughs> one song that an artist has and the fans that isn't released and the fans all know about it. And like, when are you going to release that one? When are you going to release that one? Because it almost made Neo Theater. Um, and it was just, I think, a little bit too much like other songs on the album. Yeah. I think it would have been a little bit monotonous. Uh, so Here, let me just play a second. Yeah, sure. This is the old version. And it was... And it was originally me on there. And so what we did is, you know, we put it aside and then we had one or two more for this album. We were like, wait, that's that was always such a good song. Let's break it out and see what we can do with it. And then I think we realized that Ryan sounded so much better uh, than I did on there. Like, just like I had originally sung Turning Out Part 2 on the last album, and it just didn't quite pass for, you know, genuine. It, it just didn't really work. And as soon as Ryan got on there, it was like, oh, that's the magic. The same thing happened with Adventures Out There, which, you know, we, we switched the name to Adventures Out There. And then we rewrote this chorus and we added some guitar in the beginning. Um, and then it really just exploded from there. It was like, oh, God, now we have to release this one. Yeah. And we were... I think we were really inspired by like um, first aid kit and uh, our, our friends college band, right? You have <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I have it in the list. We got yeah. We 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 went to college with uh, this this kid Andrew, who's one of my friends, and he had this like little college band that he that he still has now. We 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 listen to them a lot because it sort of brings us back to those roots of like not really trying so hard like with crazy electronic production, more just natural instruments. And we heard some slide guitar in his music in one of their songs. Uh, yeah, wait, just play it for a sec. It's a yeah. band called Patches. Wait, it's later on, I think. There it is. I was wondering if this is a real guitar. 
so we just heard that slide guitar and we were like, wow, AJR has never done slide guitar before. So we called up our friend Andrew in the band and we were like, hey, can you record slide guitar for us? And he sent it right over and he was like, yeah, sure. And then we just dropped it right in and it worked so perfectly. And we didn't pay him. (laughs) We never will. Like, how do you, does a beatboxer get points on a record? Like, how does that work? I think we, it's different for every single person, right? Did you give Kenny Urban 100% of the song like we talked about? Uh, I, uh, yes. Yeah. Good. <laughs> we do it like the episode of The Office where they take everyone's picture and put it around a table and we put beans, beans on everyone's on it, yeah. faces to determine how much they're going to get. Adam ends up with a lot of beans, coincidentally. It's kind of crazy. Um, okay. okay. Zach can't control uh, himself. Dude, I can't tell Any Adam joke, Adam is, uh, Zach is on. Well, so there's moments in the song where I feel like you're talking about yourself, but also talking about somebody else in Adventures out there. Is that correct or am I off? I'm not quite sure. I, it's, it's funny. I guess I haven't given it that much thought. The way, when Ryan first presented me with the lyrics of I Keep Losing My Socks, I thought it was such a genius idea because what that really is is you being an introverted, kind of scared person that's really afraid to go outside your comfort zone and go outside and go literally go outside and experience things. But everyone loses their socks. They leave them in hotel rooms. They leave them at, you know, girlfriends' places. And those socks are the ones that are actually have the confidence to go travel the world and end up over there in Europe. They're probably somewhere there. And I loved the idea of you being jealous of this object, <laughs> you know, and I thought that was such a great idea. And I totally felt that because at so many times in our life, we're just like, it feels so good to sit inside today, but I know it feels so much better if I actually just got out the door and did something. Right. Yeah, and then we, uh, we kind of exploded the chorus. The chorus was when we decided, oh, this has to make the album. So why am I in here? Oh, wait. That three-part harmony thing got us so excited because we haven't done three-part harmony since we're like street performing. tap dancing and yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and it felt just very like Mumford and Sons first aid kit. You're on the road driving um, and we thought, okay, now now it's not a copy of Karma or whatever anymore. Now it's its own thing. Each record sounds so different from one another and you cross genres beyond... I mean, is that the challenge for you? Obviously, like it is a challenge to to make every song sound so different. But at the same time, you're learning like it's pretty wild. Like it, it's just I don't know the, the, the thought that like just like does everything start from a slide guitar or something that you randomly hear or are you building something from your head? It's so it's literally different for every single song, right? I yeah. Yeah. There's no consistency to the way that we work. Um that, that, for instance, uh, I mean, the slide guitar is, is yes, that's a sound that's like, oh, that's, that's something we haven't done before. And as soon as we hear something that we haven't done before, oh, my God, it's the most exciting thing in the world. Because, you know, music, uh, hundreds of thousands of songs are being made every single day. New, new genres are just passing day by day. You know, it's so difficult to find new stuff as opposed to the 1950s where it's like, you know, the world is your oyster. Um, so it's when that moment happens where you do find something or Jordan Peele writes Get Out, which is an untapped genre, it's like the greatest feeling in the world because you invented something. So the crazy thing for me as the person who hears the songs probably before anyone else in the public, but after Ryan and Jack finish is that all the songs sound so different, but they all sound like they're coming from the same artist. Mm -hmm. And that is a balance that I think is incredibly difficult to get to because yeah, you can put all these different instruments, all this different crazy production, but if it doesn't sound like it's the same artist doing it, then it shouldn't it probably shouldn't be on the same album. It needs to sound like one cohesive artist. And I think I think they did that with this album. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, OK Orchestra is the album. There's a link in the description below for you to listen to it. 
Three o'clock. There's a lot of layers on this record, um, both in lyrics, but also in the production. And are the instruments on here fake or real? This one is a mix. A lot of them are. Oh, no, no, no. What? The trumpets are real, correct? Yeah. Trumpets are real. Yeah. Um, This one was probably the most interesting to write out of any of the songs on the album. I think this one was we knew we wanted to do a all over the place um, uh, stream of consciousness. Right. That's the word stream of consciousness song that eventually turns political. You know, we were like, okay, we need the political song, but let's not dive head first. And that's literally what we did. We laid out the framework and said, okay, we're going to start out with thoughts that you have at three o'clock when you should be asleep and, but your mind is running and one thing leads to another leads to another. And there's all these weird, irrational awakenings about your life that you shouldn't listen to any of them, but you are really concerned. Um, so we, we started out with lyrics. It's kind of weird that I paid for college when I could have just gone on YouTube and learned everything there. And then it was really just, we just let our mind run from there. And eventually it turned into you know, a political song and that was writing it was really hard because it was a hard mental state to get into because you want to write a pop song in a pop structure you just after doing it for so long i don't know you just naturally want to have verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus and to have to break that consciously and be like no it's okay to just say stuff about college or stuff about dating or stuff about uh the president uh and then randomly have a trumpet break and randomly have a little verse. Uh, it's it's hard to break that mold, but we finally got it after like a lot of tries. How do you break the mold? Is it just, is, is it like something like this starts with the lyric and then you build from there knowing that you want it to be this big, not long thing, but you want it to have a bunch of different layers to it because I, it's it's hard to digest here because the lyrics are so intense but also not at the same time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The the thing about stream of conscious uh, songs and 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 there are a few out there is if it doesn't resonate right away, it's it's garbage. You got to throw it out and start over. Uh, and line by line, I'm talking about. Um, and maybe sex is overrated, yeah. but we're too shy to ever say it. Okay, that's going in there, of course. Like we've all thought about that. Everyone wants to be the guy who's I'm so good at sex and I'm so I've slept with all these girls. Um, and no one wants to be the one to. Sh- on it a little bit that's hilarious that's going right in uh the youtube line that's 100 percent going right in um it's kind of funny how you vote for someone to vote for someone to vote for someone that's a like that's okay oh that is really funny that's going right in and there were probably twice as many lines that didn't make it in that were like what no one's ever felt that that's just me and ryan there yeah. that, that's just that's that's just adam's thing it's you, so so that's that's how you have to attack a song like that if you don't get an instant feeling it's it's no good do you feel like you need to stand by the song the, the lyrics that you put out there like you know, when you're talking about keeping your fans and speaking out in regards to racism, like that, that is a very, very relevant topic, right? And you see a lot of people choosing to say nothing for safety's sake. Yeah, we find that to be truly ludicrous, you know, um, and it, and it, that's personally. Yet the concept of that's really interesting to write about. It is like a toss up. Do I say something to lose the fans? Mm. Do I not? Personally, um, there are priorities in the world and having this many more fans at your show rather than saying what's right in order for immediate change and people living life to the fullest and, and, and to the safest. Uh, that's not people at the show is not the priority. Um, and uh, so, so I think we, you know, we're, we're talking about that struggle. And then sort of at the end, it's sort of like one thing is so obvious. It's if you're, you know, racist. Here, I want to play this part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're exploring the obvious themes in politics. There's two sides. 
You know, no, yeah. we have to do one more. Yeah, and then so we had to throw that line at the end uh, because, and it's just completely self-explanatory. It is so obvious. Yes, there are two sides. People believe this, people believe this. No one can make the case that uh, this person does not deserve the same right as this person because of their skin color. And God, if any of those people have been at our show, please do not come again, is what we were trying to say. We'd much rather play for 300 nice, good people than a stadium of people who think like that. That's absurd. So that that's kind of what we were trying and to that, say. Nice. And that was my next question. Do racist people deserve your music? No. Uh, I, I, I'd i be shocked. I mean, they're not listening to the words then. You know? Yeah, if they like it at all. <laughs> we've, we've really touched on the, that theme a couple of times of equality and stuff like that. So if they are, they're they're not very smart. I've, I've thought about this issue so much, and I wrote a piece in Billboard, actually, about this idea of people having, you know, artists having a responsibility to say something when they actually care about things. And then I think about, you know, we have these opinions on certain things, and we have, you know, a medium-sized platform. We don't have the Selena Gomez level, you know, number of fans. But if we are going to stand behind what we feel, and I feel like artists do have a responsibility to say things— we need to be just as okay with the artists who believe the opposite thing from we do that that we do, even if they have millions of followers, and we can vehemently disagree with them. But if we're going to say these things that we believe and have a responsibility to share this stuff with our fans, we need to be okay with people saying the opposite, and we need to be very vocal if we disagree with them. But it's something that is out there because, I mean. I think silence is the biggest problem and being a bystander is the biggest problem right now. And putting in your music essentially, I mean, it, it's, it's it's one step further than, a couple steps further than you just saying something or you yeah. posting something on Instagram, right? It's mm, yeah. a part of your catalog and discography and your impact on culture forever. Yeah, uh, and and you need to think a lot harder about it. I think uh, when we all were posting the black squares, that was that was I guess great, and we all joined in on this movement. But that take that took little to no effort, right? It took no f- deep thought or reflection. And a song like this took months and months of reflection of what's the best way to say this. And if we have any younger artists, you know, newer artists watching, or any of our artist friends or fans, like what will really penetrate them? Because I think it's really hard to break into people's psyches once they believe something. Um, And probably a black square didn't really break into anybody's psyche the way hopefully a line like this would. Um, So it's something that we think really hard about and we don't do it for shock value in, in any sense. We do it really uh, for the art and for the importance of where we're at in society right now. And it, it makes us think about all these things as a business because, you know, we run a touring business and a music making business. And we think about these things when we're going on tour and trying to be more sustainable. We think about these things in hiring practices and making sure we're diverse and getting diverse opinions of people. It's something that we don't just say in music because we have a platform to say it. It's something that we are living our life by at the same time. When you end a song by saying, if you're a racist, don't come to our show, why not just end the song on that so it makes like a big impact? Why did you guys continue the song afterwards? Oh, interesting That's question. A great question. Um, yeah. So it ends with this. Yeah. To be 100% honest, I thought that it was an even bigger view to those people, honestly. <laughs> like, no, we're not going to just end, uh, end the song and be like, and that's a big thing. It's more like, no, that's obvious. We're going to still party without you guys. You know, that, that's, that's kind of how I took it. Love that. Yeah. Let's go back to three o'clock, some, uh, three o'clock real quick. Just yeah. a question. It's a hypothetical. 
Radio people are like, oh, we like this song. We think it's going to be a hit, but you have to cut out that line. What do you say? Ooh, wow. Oh, my God. What a great question. Mm. I mean, we didn't write it to be a single at all. But, um, but go with it. Go yeah, with I'm, the okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that that would be a no. I really think that's compromising the entire point of the song. Yeah. I really think it is. There's yeah. what there's all these toss-ups. Oh, this could be true. This could be true. No, there is one thing that is true at the end of the song, or else it would just be very two-dimensional. It, that, I think the that's the one line that makes the song, you know, uh, fully three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also one more thing, okay. uh, just in terms of the production that we really liked about this was were the old-fashioned voices. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to them. Um, am I still? It was sort of the next step after the Neo Theater, like close harmony. We sort of stepped a decade later, right, into, like, the 1940s yeah, in the style of, like, a, do you want to play, like, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy? Oh, yeah, do you yeah. have that? It's, um, th- this is kind of the style we were really inspired by when Bette Miller's voice comes in. Yeah. So, so it's different yeah. from the, like, Disney-style close harmony because it's a lot more sevens, it's a lot jazzier, um, everything's a lot more, uh, da, 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 you know, lightly sung, as opposed to your eyes are oh, uh, which has a lot of gravity to it. And we thought, oh, that combined with um, a hip hop beat, that's cool. And so we got um, the the Bue Sisters, who uh, is a an, an artist that uh, Steve, our manager, like used to sign or uh, signed at one point. Um, Come on, guys, I promise everything will be alright. And then with the hip hop beat. You know, a big sound of AJR's is ultimate juxtaposition. You know, you would never find the hip hop beat and the 1940s thing together, but we're going to put it together. And there was a lot of instruction that we had to give them, like the last album of how to sing it correctly. They sang a few passes of come on, guy, you know, just like a little bit more in the front. Uh, and it's supposed to be come on, guy, like barely like slurring their words. So we eventually got to the place where it did sound a lot closer to the Bette Midler song. Harder to work remotely with artists like that? Yeah. yeah, much harder. 100%. When we recorded Neo Theater, um, Next Up Forever, it was immediate. They were all there. We were behind the glass. We're like, no, 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 marbles in the mouth. And then we got it in a few hours. And this was days and even weeks, actually, of setting stuff back and forth. Who's the voice at the top of the overture? Ooh. Oh, man. Do, um, do you remember It's her so name? funny that we, don't I, do, I that don't we didn't remember. do overture first. Yeah, that is oh, funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't Barbara? remember. Barbara? Barbara? I think her name is Barbara. <laughs> so bad that we do not know i apologize uh barbara pretty sure no um no no i'm apologizing to her not you zach um <laughs> uh, tell barbara that we're tell barbara yeah can you pass that on uh no it, it is honestly i guess the story behind that was uh we, it was really just searching for the right voice we, we knew we wanted a uh interesting sounding voice and then we kind of narrowed it down to an older british woman that had a certain you know and, and we got a bunch of passes of different older wow. British women um, and she was just really had the right tone and then we were just like that's it we wanted a bit of a bit more Harry Potter you know yeah. Professor McGonagall kind of kind of feel these are our drums this is our melody I'm just gonna let this play because I want to talk about now it listen closely as our drums become our melody And 
here's our song. Yeah, so we thought, did you already say the Peter and the Wolf thing? I wasn't No, listening. I didn't. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, we thought uh, a lot like, remember Peter and the Wolf? We all like listened to it when we were young. Like, I don't uh, know if the, you guys did. The part of the clarinet will be played by... Or no, the, no, the, the animal. Of the, yeah, yeah, part of the, the wolf will be played by the bassoon. The bassoon, yeah. yeah. And it, it's, like, uh, it's like introducing these different themes and then it all comes together with this like, was he British, the narrator? I forget who the... I don't think so, no. But he had yeah. that exact same sort of timbre that was, okay, you really wanted to listen. He was teaching you something really cool. Yeah, so that always stayed with us and we thought, what if we do that kind of ironically in, in this setting? Well, is it an ironic education or do you really want people to like listen to this overture, understand what's about to come and then gives you a different idea or a different way to dissect or, you know, escape in this album? It's both. It's 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 funny. And you definitely laugh when you hear these are our drums because like you weren't expecting that. But also that's what happens with all of our songs. You laugh when Ryan says, I just really want to call my dad. And it's like and then you're like, oh, wait, that's actually kind of cool. You know, and then you sort of lean in. Uh, that's a lot of what fans say AJR songs are. <laughs> oh, OK, cool. Ryan, can you talk about the drums becoming like that point of it? Yeah. Uh, so we wanted the we, we wanted to show the instruments morphing in a bunch of different ways. We do the the like violin to trumpet. We do this drum melody in Humpty Dumpty. We have like a talking instrument. Um, we wanted to show a lot of different facets of OK Orchestra. And for this, um, this was probably the uh, maybe the hardest one to do because you can imagine. Oh, what would drums sound like if it if they were tuned and making a melody? And it's one thing to imagine, it and then it's another thing to actually make it. And so. Um, you know, it came from a lot of like, like technically, if you take a kick drum and you go, you know, like you keep uh, looping it or whatever, and you speed up the tempo to, uh, eventually it will sound like a bass. And I have a feeling that's how like dubstep basses were originally made. Um, and you can hear it here. Like it gets a little bit faster and then. And then it gets fast enough until it's recognizable. That's as literally a, a bunch of drums going like that. Yeah, sped up. And then it, that was kind of the core of, okay, if we do that to a lot of different drums, we can start to have you register. These are drums, but it's also making a melody. But, so you only discover that by messing around, right? Or uh, Yeah. That's how everything gets discovered, honestly. Right? Yeah, that's how the first uh, electric guitar, it was discovered from like overloading an amp and then they like accidentally poked holes in the rubber of the speaker and it had like a fluttering sound and that invented like different kinds of distortion it was all just mistakes the trick can we move into this record because the lyrics yeah. stand out to me um you obviously don't have a dog that can dance uh you hopefully didn't date a 28 year old when you were in the eighth grade you don't know um yeah I, I guess i was gonna say we're not here to judge but that i i would judge <laughs> um uh, a lyric that stands out, I'm not proud of this, but I'm not proud of the truth. Uh, how does a song like this begin? Is it reflection yeah. or is it something that happens like within days of the studio? This song is probably my favorite song on the album. And I'll tell you why. It's because we're telling a story from the point of view of an antihero. And we've never done that before in our music. And an antihero is... Uh, in, in in a movie setting is, you know, a protagonist, yet they have major flaws and they're actually kind of unlikable. Um, the Social Network, Mark Zuckerberg is like the perfect example of an antihero. He is, you know, but he is the protagonist of the story and this is a perfect example of one. And the cool thing about an antihero is they're really fun to watch because they are really annoying, but also they do have something that you like about them. And when Aaron Sorkin wrote Mark Zuckerberg's character, he says when you're writing an antihero, you have to give them a reason to be accepted into heaven. You know, they can't just be, 
uh, you know, or else you're never going to sympathize. And uh, the person, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's and, uh, you know, thing that gets him accepted is that, yes, he is but it's a, a lot of it is a front and he is doing it for love and for this girl in this case this person is a liar and that sucks everyone hates liars yet he feels really bad about it and he can't really help it he's not saying ha ha I fooled you I fooled you he's saying god I can't truly can't help myself and I think that's why this is a really cool song because you feel for someone who's not such a great person which is a really interesting moment in storytelling or music um and it's and it's a very sad story of someone that's trapped in a relationship where it's it's all been a foundation of lies is it based on imagination or um it's based on people we know yeah and 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 i mean all of us lie to a degree um and uh so we could definitely get in the frame of mind of someone who is a compulsive liar like that is it you guys singing on the song? Yeah, that's my voice. And we, uh, what we did was, oh, oh yeah, so. do you have? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so oh. what we did was we uh, recorded a slow version. So it was, I gotta die, with like extreme vibrato. And then we sped it up. So the vibrato, so basically, you know, it was faster, higher pitch, and the vibrato was, uh, I can't even do it naturally. It doesn't sound good. But that's the only way we could achieve that cool kind of Tiny Tim sound. <laughs> um, and we thought it was so great because when he's telling, uh, yeah, you, you play for that for a sec. Oh. Do you not have you it? Know what? I don't have it. Uh, that's okay. Not that's pitched. okay. Uh, but we thought it was really cool because when he is telling the lies it's the same person but it's a completely different voice this is the liar and then when the chorus comes in we'll get out of this when he starts being genuine my actual voice comes in and that's the truth teller it's a beautiful story um it's hard to put yourself in the shoes or the mindset of somebody like that do you learn anything about yourself from doing it yeah um, yeah, you said that you 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 related to it. On oh, some I definitely level related. Of wanting yeah. people to like you, you know. Yeah, I think that you know. Yeah, I think I kind of back to my point before. You could say, you know, you're a liar, you're a bad person. But what's the motivation? Could it be I'm lying to be accepted by a group of friends? Could it be I'm lying to save this relationship? And all of those are really kind of just sweet reasons. So I did. I, I remember I used to lie when I was younger to be accepted by people, and I can do this. And my dog can dance. Now, do you like me? Um, so that that's <laughs> where I'm sure a lot of people are going to be able to relate to it. And, and we realized, actually listening back with, with Steve, our manager, we realized a lot of these songs are about some version of lying. Um, and, or, and actually, better, better said, some version of coping with the truth. Mm. Um, and the trick is probably the clearest example of it. But you could say that about Humpty Dumpty. You could argue that about Joe. Um, and yeah. yeah, Joe, I don't ever think of you. My play. My yeah. play, yeah. Yep. It, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a natural part of growing up and getting older and trying to cope with really dim realities is like lying to yourself or lying to other people. And we thought that's a really interesting thing to explore in your own lives. Have you been able to answer the question? If love dies, why bother? (laughs) Oh my God. That's something that you say. And then you push down very hard and don't want to think about it ever again. Um, And there's a lot of those things. No, uh, unless you're uh, me and it runs the way you exist. It's it's, why, what do you, what do you think? What's your opinion? I believe love could be forever when it's the right love. And I think sometimes people, well, but maybe it can't be forever. I don't know. I, I, I'm so naive to the situation and my, my scope, my lens that I've been looking at love has been so fogged and stormy and very narrow that I'm not even in a place to comment on it, truthfully, because in, in, in some cases I believe there is like love that could last forever, but then there also could be love that could last for a long time and then fizzle over time. That's where I'm at. I think where it's like, 
if you, let's say you, you guys get divorced after 10 years or whatever, that's not a failure. I, I, I hate when people call it like a failed marriage. That was a wonderful 10 years and then you move on to the next thing. I think that's kind of where I'm at, where uh, I don't know if I believe that it's you get married and, and then no matter what, it's till death do us part. That's, that's a sweet sentiment, but like why, who invented that? Well, why does it need to be that? Why couldn't it be till this runs its course to us part. Obviously, there's a pattern of that not being very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Statistics speak for themselves. Is it mm. hard to put this in a song? I mean, because you're essentially talking about your own life. Like, as somebody who grew up in a divorced household, the concept of doing everything twice is very hard. And mm. that's what your play is. But, like, to me, the play is, yes, in some cases, wanting to show both sets of parents what I've been creating. But in other times, it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, it's every birthday, it's every holiday, it's it's every major life event that happens twice, you know? And it's a hard thing to grapple with. Is it hard to put that yeah. in a song or to come to terms with? Yeah, it was hard. Uh, that, that was I got to give Ryan all the credit, honestly, and I say this all the time. It's uh, It obviously happened to us, and we were obviously going to write about it at some point. I think we were kind of avoiding it you know yeah like no this it just can't be done uh kind of like when we wrote our song role models about you know, the the me too movement that was happening like no we can't put that in a song um and then ryan it was another just like role models ryan went off uh, by himself and said nope i got it it's not gonna be we have divorced we have separated parents we have divorced parents isn't that sad it's no let's find one thing that's even if you try to not cry you're still going to get emotional because it happened to you and that's putting on a play for your parents which is the most exciting thing in the world when you're five years old and you've it's the first time you have you are creative which is like oh my god it's like a drug to a five-year-old it's like i did this all by myself and the feeling of showing both of your parents is the best thing in the world. And now that is gone and it's taken away from you. And that is such a devastating thing to talk about. And Ryan just hit that nail right on the head. It's, it's emotional. Even if you try to push it away, it's still going to have an effect on you. Do you look at the situation that happened in your life differently after the song is done? We were really scared to play it for our mom and dad. Remember that? Um, our dad had kind of a lukewarm reaction yeah. at first. It was honestly like when this is a really dark uh, metaphor, but it's honestly like when someone like passes in your life and you have like an underwhelming reaction. It's like, Oh yeah. And then sort of like a couple days later, like right after you. the funeral, it sort of like hits you and it's like, Oh, Oh my, oh my God. And then it all comes at once. And I think that's exactly what happened to our dad. At first he made a, co- I think like we played it for him and he made a comment. He was like, I think you need like a little more here. And we were like, wait, hold on a sec. Like, did you listen to what the song was about? He's like, yeah. And then like two days later, I think he sent us a text me like, guys, I truly cannot stop thinking about this. It's consuming my entire life. I, I, he loved it, but it just hit him uh, a lot later, which I, I thought was so great. We were so confused at first and it was like, oh, it's, it's that same reaction of, okay, it all hit him at once. A hard song to put out there, but I, I just, I'm telling you, it's a very important song that I think needs to exist. And uh, as somebody who was, uh, comes from a divorced household and divorced very early on, a lot of kids need that. I think kids need that. They, 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 it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, and I think kids need to understand that they're not alone in that. And, yeah, hard to put out there, hard to share with those closest to you, but I think the impact of the record will be felt far and wide. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, I was going to do this. No. We'll cross thank over. Thank you. No. Uh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys. OK Orchestra is the album. <laughs> Listen to All right, it. bye guys. <laughs> Good seeing you. Uh, obviously, we have Way Less Sad. That is the current single. Uh, it's out in the world. Uh, this record, 
in, in the span of the album, where does it come in the creative process? This was a really cool story. Um, and this is one that we've been, we've been telling and it's basically, okay, yeah, I'll tell you quickly. The story of Way Less Sad was actually nine years in the making. Nine years ago, we isolated a sample from a Simon and Garfunkel song called My Little Town. And it is wow. the very, the last three seconds of My Little Town is what we loved about the song. It was the catchiest part and it was literally in the fade out. It was a horn line that you even had to bump your volume up to here. It was so low. We were like, that is so catchy. Why didn't they use it in the rest of the song? So we said, okay, we're going to do it. So we isolated it and put it in a track nine years ago. That was this sort of like disco inspired thing. Ryan, Ryan, I'll play My Little Town for you right now. Just go to the very end. It's even further. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here it is. This is the fade out. This is what we sampled. And it fades out, and that's the only time it happens in the entire song. We're like, that is such a great horn line. It's so good. So we dropped it into and our your own little... built around that. It literally, yes. Um, and we dropped yeah. it into our own little funky, like, disco track that we ended up saying, okay, you know, this is not right. We don't really have it yet. Uh, so we put it away for, like, literally nine years. Then... What happened was a couple of years ago, Kaigo's manager reached out asking if we had any songs and we wrote this song over a track that they sent where the chorus was, don't you love it? Don't you love it? No, I'm happy yet. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, we had that. um, And then... What happened? We were like, okay, that's they—they they didn't want it. We were like, okay, that's a really good chorus. That's that's strong. Uh, and then the next thing that happened was Cardi B's label, Atlantic. They reached out asking if we had any tracks for Cardi B or Top Line, and we broke out the Simon and Garfunkel sample and wrote and made a little hip hop track around that and wrote this Top Line over it, where Ryan's girlfriend is actually singing a song called "Winning," and which they did not want, and it went like this. Wait. <laughs> Keep, keep in mind, my girlfriend is not a singer by any measure. She was trying to imitate Cardi B in, yeah. in a way. Oh, oh, great. Wait, I want to go wait, to wait, the yeah, go to, go to. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I'm looking right, for yeah, the go rap to. part. Wait, could you play the chorus? It's coming. Okay. So catchy. <laughs> we really liked that. We liked that. Um, and they, Cardi they B missed out. Yeah, I know, right? That's what we she, thought. She put out WAP instead, and then we were like, oh, okay, like, never oh, mind. Oh, that's not really the direction she was headed in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, that was a waste. No, and then it turned out to not be a waste, because what happened was we were writing uh, this, this new song, and we basically wrote a song around, don't you love it, don't you love it, no, I'm happy yet, but I'm way less sad. And then we were looking for production, and we took back the sample and we kind of AJ artified it and dropped it in and it was that real moment of like the final piece of the puzzle and it was like oh my god it fits so perfectly the perfect BPM um, and and that's how the story that's how the song came to be wow that I mean meant for you beyond men for you and meant to be a single yeah thank yeah, you definitely thank you Cardi B wow what a story you like that I was not expecting that, that, that was today. A, that was a roller coaster of a story with a great ending <laughs> I know. That was a Frankie Jonas level story. No, not that good. Come on. 
God, that guy is so cool. God, so much poop. Yeah. I mean, he didn't write Christmas songs or produce Christmas songs for Megan Trainer, which that inspires Christmas in June, right? Because y'all get into that headspace in the summer when everybody's making Christmas music, because that's just the way the music cycle works. Oh, I gotta and say, you are not correct about that. I have to say, really? that wasn't, that was not, that is true. We did write the, uh, co-write the songs with Megan Trainer and produce them. Uh, but the, uh, the phrase Christmas in June was written in my notes about two years ago. Um, and uh, what happened with what? that song? Yeah, just, just the phrase. And I was like, that's really great. That's so good. I don't know what it means, but that's a great song title. That's great. Ryan, we were in Long Island and this was another song we wrote out there. And I came in one night into the house and Ryan went, listen to this. This is a cool Broadway melody I have. He went, da 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 And I was like, oh, Ryan, that is... That definitely sounds Broadway, but that could easily be on the album. That is so sweet and Bell and Sebastian kind of. Um, and I think right there, I was like, Christmas in June. That's exactly sort of the feeling. It's like this easygoing thing. And that was besides Bummerland. That was the other, I think that was the second quickest song that we wrote. I think we wrote the entire thing in about 30 minutes. So you just um, built it, it all around just two words or three words. Christmas in June. And, and I think I shouted that out. And Ryan was like, what does it mean? What does it mean? And we eventually got to the place that this is a great idea for a song it's almost like come hang out part two but it's about a relationship that you're in which is um and and the concept is uh you know i want this relationship to work i love you but there's that point where you have to choose between you know fulfilling your dreams which you've had for 20 years and you know making the person that you love happy and being happy with that person so can we just you know i'm probably going to be gone in december so can we just do christmas in june and try to make that work um, and it was very inspired by my own situation. I started dating my girlfriend in college, and it was that situation of, you know, I was gone every single weekend. I couldn't really see her socially, and we got a couple of those points that are like, God, I'm, like, dying to be with you now, but we do have that game-changing festival that we, if we don't play, we're not going to get an ad at this radio station. And I really think it's something that every human ever in a relationship can relate to. It's not so black and white. It is definitely the relationship and nothing else. It's, there's a lot of things that are important to people in life. So there's that interesting question of like, what do you choose and when? So that's how that song came to be. In, in making those sacrifices, you know, that's how you know you're with the right person, right? Because not everybody deserves those sacrifices. No, not everybody deserves moving Christmas to June. Right. right, 100%. And it ends on this, uh, I love that, uh, we, we really like this ending, uh, and we, we knew after we finished it, this has to be the ending of the album. We don't need a big finale like Neo Theater. No, we need an understated thing, because it just gets like really real all of a sudden, yeah. uh, where it's like, oh, I don't know what, what I'm going to do. And then it's, then you start talking about having kids, and wow, th- my whole life is going to be a compromise from yeah. now on. Like, it's like kind of this like crazy realization. This isn't actually college not, anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah, actually, sorry, not my whole life. Your whole life is going to be a compromise from now. And that's like more of it. Like, I'm, I'm, again, am I an asshole for saying this, you know? Is there a moment in this process where you just have to throw those fears out the window and just say, I'm going to say what I'm going to say and I-, I just need to be 100% honest? Because, or do you question yourself along the way? No, there's definitely questioning happening. It's not totally normal. I know those people that are just say what's on their mind. That's definitely not us. Uh, there, that It was a big struggle to write a song about Joe. It was a big struggle to talk about my relationship in any you, you know, were, you capacity. You were worried about playing it for Alba, yeah. I was super worried, yeah. And I, I played it for her and I sent it to her and she called me crying as soon as she heard the last line. Darling, if we're ever going to have a kid, don't mm-hmm. want to miss it. Can we just have him in June? And she was just had tears on her face and she was like, this is the best song that you've ever written. And she was completely biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> completely biased. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, uh, but then we realized in a general sense you you don't no one likes no no one really wants to 
go to a show or be friends with the person that's just like has the most basic issue or like non-issues that are just like damn I couldn't you know I didn't get what I wanted at that restaurant like that you know like that's that's so boring so the more honest you are and is there there's a there's a high chance that that's more what someone thinks you know I'm sure someone has had these thoughts before so you really just have to get to that place of I know it's difficult to just put yourself out there but that's the way that people are gonna come see you that's the way that people are gonna say this is my favorite song and this saved my life so you just have to you know get past that you got to bear yourself, man. You got to give, give yeah. yourself to these records. They are you. You are the songs. There's no difference. That's right. Okay, Orchestra is Thank the you. album. Link in the description below. Um, so you really, when you're creating Christmas song, you don't need to be like be in a Christmas mindset. You can just whip it out. I don't think it's oh. quite a Christmas song. I mean, it's it definitely. I think. I, I think. No, I, I not Christmas in June. I mean, I, I was going back to the Megan Trainer thing. Like you could just oh, like the Megan oh. one. you channel Christmas. Uh, Megan, whenever Megan you want. Sent us the start of those songs, and we did. I think a little bit have to get into the Christmas vibe when you were producing it for sure. Yeah, we did put the hat on and the Santa. We had to spend six hundred dollars on a Santa <laughs> outfit that Ryan had to get into for some reason. Um, but but that's pretty much <laughs> it. <laughs> Adam. I have a question for you. Did they ever bring you anything on this album that you weren't sold on at first and they had to kind of convince you? Great yes. Question. Oh, wow. Yes. It's a song that was the song that turned into Bummerland. Do you remember? Outside. Oh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Outside. I guess we could say it. Okay. Why it we was called out, Outside. <laughs> yeah. There was one song that I wasn't sold on. And like I was confused. Remember, I was confused by the lyrics. And I was like, oh, is this about socialized medicine? And remember? <laughs> no, I you don't didn't remember say that. that out loud. That was the first time you said that out loud. I'm glad you didn't say that out loud. That would have been the end of the writing process. <laughs> what? Um, socialized medicine. That's, you know, Zach, you talked about bearing your soul. That's it right there. That's what the people want to hear. Socialized medicine. We'll see you at Madison Square Garden, you know? <laughs> No, Dan, there's one song that I've been begging Ryan and Jack to rework for years. And <laughs> what is this? We had the exact what? same reaction. What? what? What are you talking about? What song? It's one of the ones we haven't talked about yet. I've I've told you guys for years oh. that the chorus of this song is oh. one of my favorite choruses. The last song on the album that we haven't talked about, I, I believe. Well, we're missing two. Oh. Missing two songs. Okay, yeah. Um this this course has been like one of my favorite courses for a really long time. Humpty Dumpty. Mm. Um, and I've been telling Ryan and Jack, you need to go back to the song. You need to go back to the yeah, song. You need yeah. to go back to the we song. wrote Humpty Dumpty and the chorus was so good and we knew that it was so good. It was so relatable. Uh, it's another example of not wanting to, you know, show your true self. It's not wanting to be, uh, you know, unlikable because you show, you're showing pain and you're getting hurt. So, you know, Humpty Dumpty, when he fell down, he said, screw it. I'm going to smile right through it and I'll scream when no one's around. We're like, that's so tight. The original song that we wrote around it was just very bad writing. Uh, on, on, it, it was, it was. No, no, and we knew, and it was just on, on our part. It was very telling, not showing. It was here's what the song is about, um, which is just you know you want people to visualize. So we kind of scrapped it and felt bad about it, and then finally Adam was 100 right. The chorus was really, really good. So we went back and really dug deep into it. It's probably the most difficult thing to do on the album. It was like the beats, I think, of yeah. the album. It was like how do we get this right? You know, and three, two. What are you even playing? Oh, <laughs> well, I was going to, just because he's in the room, I was going to play uh, Ezra singing back up on the chorus. Wait, I thought. yes, you have to, you Ready? have to play it. So right then we had a big decision to make. Do we put this out or do we burn it? So, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's here. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that, that was another thing, just recording remotely uh, to do any kind of gang vocals. We had to, whereas last album, we were in dressing rooms where we could record the whole crew together. Now I had to ask, like, just for Ezra, who's in Staten Island, and this guy who's in L.A., they all recorded, like, separately, and then I put them together. You've tapped into a lot of things, like it just from the album. It feels like my childhood, but like looking at it from a perspective of being in my mid twenties, like looking back, um, it is like even the concept of using Humpty Dumpty, which is a character. I'm assuming he's old enough where it's public domain. Like nobody, nobody owns him. I don't think we don't. We we used Beats by Dre and didn't clear anything. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Adam, shit, socialized so. medicine. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there was one thing, uh, one last production thing that I just wanted to say in Humpty Dumpty, this uh, talking piano thing I'm, oh, I'm yeah. pretty proud of. And so that was kind of like the last little frontier of like instruments being alive, whether it's morphing into instruments or being able to talk. And that idea was just like, what if a piano could talk? And that was our like little five-year-old brain saying, what if a piano could talk? And then our adult brain has to say, let's actually make it happen. And it came from, I don't know if you guys used to watch this. Um, oh, you have it. I was hoping you had it. That's yeah. so great. <laughs> um, did you ever watch this Silly Symphonies? It's like an old Disney like VHS thing. Did you watch this, Ezra? We always used to watch this and it like stuck with us. Imagine there's an ad. Yeah, <laughs> where, where these instruments were like alive and it was like classical verse jazz. And it always just, I don't know, stuck with me at least of like, what if an instrument could talk and was alive? What would it sound like? And then we came up with that Humpty Dumpty thing. Again, do you discover this because you want to make an instrument talk or do you discover how to make an instrument talk because it was a mistake? No, this was actually like Ryan. By no, this was Ryan trying to make what you just saw happen in real life actually like this is what it would sound like if a piano you know grew lips and started speaking zach do you remember the beginning of the neo theater tour there was a video for when the first song was playing and there were all these horns in the sky and the horns were opening and closing yeah. like they were speaking doing that first yeah. part you know uh, Don't ask, zach, ask dan he's seen our show before oh. i have seen your show before <laughs> Dan, remember at the beginning of the Blue Man Group show when all the instruments, you know, were talking? But that was like yes. the first visual representation at the beginning of the Neo Theater show, at, at least from my perspective, of to take that to take that thing that Ryan just showed of that what is it called? The Island of Instruments? Uh, Musicland. Oh, Musicland. Yeah. Um, and to visually represent it. And now on this album, it's represented um, from an audio perspective. So it's all coming together into one complete picture. What do you want your fans to walk away with after listening to this body of work? This is definitely the most emotional thing we've ever done in our careers. This is by far the most emotional album. Uh, I really wanted to resonate with them on that on the, on that level. We we really took a lot of risks. We kind of took one step further in a lot of these songs, um, such as you know, like the trick. It's it's not that easy to wrap your head around the first time that you listen. Oh no, it's about a liar, and there's a relationship, huh? But you have to give it two or three lessons in order to be like, wow, I really sympathize with this guy. Or maybe I have even felt like this before. So it, it's a lot less, you know, um, surface, on the nose. Yeah, yeah, a lot less on the nose than, than, than we usually go. Uh, so I really want people to, you know, listen a few a few times and get to that point of, oh, wow, I've really, I've felt this before. And this is actually a lot more muscly than, than or muscular than they have, have, have done before with their music. Touring to accompany this album, obviously we're in a different time now, but you've done... An incredible live stream, an honor to be a part of it in some capacity. You did a drive-through yeah. show before people were doing drive-through shows. Do we want to tour again? <laughs> what, what, Do you what, know what? when? 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's a dumb uh, question uh, because the answer is 2022, right? Really? Well, we can definitively say that we will be touring this album. Um, what that's going to look like, we'll see. But definitely we will be doing a tour where we will be playing, you know, this album and letting the, the live version of these songs live on. I got to say, that's, that's not satisfying to anyone, what you just said. <laughs> At some point in the 80 years that we're on this earth, this, these songs will be played live. Most of you will not be alive for this, but it will be done. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, the near, in the near future. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to announce it in the near future, too. Yep. yep. Is there a desire to tour, or is there... Like, do you like being able to stay put and just create? No, it's okay. Yeah. So what's happened this year is really funny because to be honest, we hadn't really had more than a few week break for the last five years before this yeah. started. So it gets to the point, whereas if you do anything, you know, a tennis player that plays matches every single day, he's going to get desensitized to the sport at some point. He's going to get tired. He's going to get exhausted and need a bit of a break. We never really had that time or I personally didn't where I was like out for a week and I was like, God, I need to get back on tour. I got to get out there. So it's been really, really cool because... I think through two months into the pandemic, three months in, it got to the point where I did say that. And I was like, oh my God, I'd give anything to yeah. be on stage right now. And that's a really, really cool feeling. So literally when we were making this album, I think Ryan and I already have half of the next show planned, uh, at least. And we haven't really sat down to actually talk about it yet. Um, and it's an entirely different show. Sorry, keep in mic. From, uh, from Neo Theater. There's not any reused stuff. It's all completely different. And it's, it's definitely a step up. And this album definitely wouldn't have happened unless... We had off this year. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to say that we had off this year because we were still working a lot. But yeah, off from traveling. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were supposed to spend 2020 on the road uh, touring because we had sold a ton of tickets. Um, and then we were going to take the next year off, actually, to work on some other things. And um, this album definitely wouldn't, ha wouldn't have happened. And now we just can't wait to get back on the road. And it's also allowed us to all of us to work on other things that we can't tell you about. Is that also exciting for people to hear? <laughs> I'm glad you're checking with me from now on. Yes. Okay, orchestra, listen to the album. There's a link in the description below. Um, final thoughts, Daniel? Well, the only song we didn't talk about was Bang, but I, I think we all know the right. success that that one had. Massive. <laughs> Wait, tell us, Dan. Tell us about the success. Well, you guys released a song called Bang, and it did pretty well, if I had to say so myself. Yeah, talk about the hits, man. Talk about the – go through the stats. Number one, number one, let's go. Well, it, it did go number one at radio, did it? Uh, it was what? pretty close. Mm -hmm. I mean, number like one, hot AC. Number one, hot AC. Number two, alternative. I think number, number four, seven. Five? Oh, 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 didn't, oh, God. At top 40? Well, well Six? off. Hot, Way off. Yeah. It had an amazing life. It was back. also in an Apple commercial. <laughs> um, I mean, 100 Bad Days was Taylor Swift approved. This was Tim Apple approved. I mean, th there's a lot of defining moments, <laughs> defining approvals. Do you, should I jump on the right? Tim Apple <laughs> thing again, or should I just let that sit there for everyone to comment in the comments? <laughs> Tim Cook is an icon. Um, and there you the, go. the world is better because he's in it, truly. Um, yep. I mean, do, does, do those types of approvals matter to you as you continue to create and perform and exist? Oh, my God, absolutely. And, oh, my God. I, I hear so often that it's like, uh, artists say, you know, I don't, I only make, I don't, I make music and I don't care what anyone else says. I make it for me. I make it for me. Oh my God, that could not be farther from the truth. We make it for ourselves as, you know, absolute like therapy in a kind of way. But anytime someone says we like this, Taylor Swift says we like this, how could we not be excited about that? That, that is, that is what literally keeps us going till the next album. You know, that that's okay. People still like what we're doing. <laughs> let's, let's get started again. That, that means everything to us. What song should Taylor Swift listen to off of OK Orchestra? She only has time to give your your album one song. I can do one. 
Ah. Mm. I wonder if she consumes mm-hmm. music that way. Taylor should listen to Oh, oh but sure. <laughs> <laughs> she should. If, if if someone can only listen to one song, I'd probably say definitely do the overture. That's really that's, why not. I mean, it's it's all the songs in in one in a way. Well, well, hopefully it will hook her, and she'll want to listen to the whole album. Thank you for this weird hypothetical where she's rushing out the door, and she only has what time? <laughs> Three minutes. No, no, I got to go to an appointment. I got to listen to one song from OK Orchestra. That's <laughs> doesn't sound very I'm, likely I'm, to me. I'm manifesting it. AJR, yeah. <laughs> OK Orchestra's the album. Link in the description below. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank God. you, guys. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang. you over. Hey, beautiful human. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with AJR. And please listen to their album, OK Orchestra. And let us know who you're listening to so we know who we should invite on the show next. At Zach Zang Show on any form of social media. Have an amazing day. Hug your family if you can. Don't go to jail. Be safe. And yeah, I really appreciate you. Peace and love. Talk soon.